I love what Billy Graham said. He said, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our country. So guys, we just want you to be seen today and known today. And I can't say enough how incredibly valuable your life is and your love and your leadership is. You know, we're talking on, uh, on the kingdom, and I love, and when, whenever we're in a series, I like to take the template of whatever it is we're talking about and apply it to the message at hand. And so we're going to talk today about the kingdom of God and as it relates to what, how is that a template for us as men of God. And I want to remind us, you know, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul said this, imitate God in everything that you do. And I'm speaking that directly to fathers today. Imitate God in everything that you do. And we've been recognizing the fact that this is a profound truth, that our, our king, the king of the kingdom, is also a father. And I, I, I can't tell you how absolutely radical this is. Because kings and kingdoms are associated with raw power and raw authority. And how many of you know that you can't go any higher up the chain than God Almighty? He has all authority. He is sovereign, raw authority and power. You will not find anybody that possesses more power than God. And yet at the same time, listen to these words. Our king is our daddy. This is radical. Most religions, to, to call the, a sovereign God dad was viewed as the height of irreverence. But our sovereign king is a father. He's a dad, which means he's the epitome of daddiness, all right? It means he's intimate. It means he's relational. It means he's loving. He's kind. And so we have absolute power with absolute presence. And those two things combined are incredibly powerful. And so on this Father's Day, I want to highlight how we as, as fathers and as men in general can imitate God in our roles as husbands and dads. And I want to think about this king-father dynamic, and I want to explore this. How many of you have heard that phrase that a man's home is his castle? Anybody know what I'm talking about? In other words, out of this whole crazy world, there's one place where a man feels like he can go home, and that's his little kingdom, uh, and that's home. And how many of you like being greeted by your queen when you come home? Uh, I love seeing my queen. We just celebrated uh, 39 years of her being my queen. And uh, I love coming home to my queen, and I love coming home to all my subjects, my children. And uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but there's something awesome, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it highlights the fact that, that God's called us to be kings of our own castle, so to speak. The problem is when we understand kingship incorrectly, and we don't understand the way God has demonstrated it for us. You know, a lot of men, I'm the king of my castle, and everybody needs to obey me, and, and your children are not subjects, they're your slaves, and uh, your wife is not your queen, she's your uh, housekeeper, and how I many you know that's not a good thing at all? Uh, so let's talk a little bit about how we, how we lay our lives down at home. You know, Jesus said that he called the disciples together, and he said, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under, their, under them. But among you, it's going to be different. Men among you, in your castle, in your kingdom, it's going to be different because your leadership is going to be measured, Jesus said, by the way that you serve. Isn't that amazing? So the strength of our manhood and the strength of our kingdom is not that we command everybody else around us and boss everybody else around us, but the strength of our kingdom is measured by the depth of our loving service. 
by the crazy way we have wonderful relationships with our bride and with our children. And I want to take a look at a couple of ways as we highlight God's kingdom and God's fatherly activity, a couple of ways that I'm certainly learning to employ better, and I hope you guys can say amen, Pastor. I want to learn to get better at that as well. But one of the crazy things we saw about God was that he is a father who initiates. Jesus taught us that God will not just act at the end of history, but when he returns as king, but he's acting redemptively now. And we sang about it in that awesome song, Reckless Love. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and verse 8, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, the Bible says, while we were still sinners. There it is again. How many of you know the good news about our Father King is that he is a seeking God. He pursues us. He takes the initiative. You know, when you look at the Old Testament, we were, God's law was perfect and we were lawbreakers. And the way to get back into right relationship with God was to repent of your sin and then come running back to, to the Father. But Jesus does something radical in the New Testament. He shows us a God who's not sitting back waiting for us to act but a God who takes the initiative and actually pursues us. Even when we don't want to repent, even when we're his enemies, even when we're alienated from him, he's not sitting there waiting, although he has every right in the world to demand our obedience because he's a sovereign king. But he's not waiting like, hey, guys, the ball's in your court. I'm waiting here. In fact, what we see in the Bible is just the opposite. We see that the father loved us so much he sent his son and that God is actually the one initiating the relationship. God is the one pursuing our hearts. God is the one going low. God is the one taking the initiative to humble himself and to meet us on our terms. He's an amazing God who initiates. He pursues us. I mean, you know, when we're called to imitate God, it's because great fathers don't find faults. They actually find solutions, and that's what God is looking to do. He's not sitting back saying, look at this mess you all have made. He says, I'm actually willing to pursue you so that I can bring you under the blessings of my reign. The Son of Man, the Bible says, came to seek and save those who are lost. God is pursuing us and pursuing us and pursuing us. And when I think about Luke chapter 15... There's three parables in this chapter that are really powerful. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. You know the story. Jesus leaves the 99. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one that's lost. And if you're a religious person like me, been raised in church most of your life, you look at that and you go, Jesus, it's a waste to go after the one. Why don't you stay with the 99 and focus on the, the majority that are with you? But that's the thought of somebody who's never put themselves in the place of the, of the one sheep that's lost. I mean, you're grateful that your father initiates when you're lost and at your worst day. God leaves the ones that are safe and he goes after you. Amen. And we sang about it in that powerful song this morning. He chases us down. There's no mountain that's too high that he's not going to scale. There's nothing, no wall he won't kick down to come after us. And then they told a story about a lost coin. A woman had 10 coins and she lost one of them and she meticulously went through her whole house to find the one coin. And then we get to the climax of this chapter, Luke 15, and it's the story of the lost son. And we know that story about the father standing and waiting 
and longing every day, longing for that son to return. And when he sees him in a distance, he doesn't stand there shaking his head. You know, I just got done with uh, one of our discipleship series, and one of the men in that group, someone I deeply admire and respect, and I won't mention his name because I didn't get his permission to share this story, so I'll share it anonymously. That's what pastors have the authority to do is we, <laughs> we, we, we share things on this. I'm, I'll ask him maybe next service if I find him. Maybe I won't share because I'll make a plumbering mess out of myself. <laughs> he was talking about a son that he had that was uh, have a hard time getting traction and had struggled with a lot of things. And, and instead of looking at him down, down his nose and being disappointed, he just embraced his son and just told him how much he loved him. And his son started weeping in his arms. And he says, I've always felt like I've been a massive disappointment to you. And his father said, no, you've not been a massive disappointment to me. You're an incredible blessing to me. And how God began doing this incredible healing because the father's heart just simply saying, you know what? I'm not looking at the course of your life or the history of the ups and downs or the disappointments. I just want you to know as your father that I deeply love you. And watching two, two men come together and healing was so powerful to hear the story. So powerful. And then you remember, again, the picture of each of these parables highlights divine initiative. Love always leads, love pursues, and love sacrifices. Love is not passive. And can I just share with the men here this morning, the curse of manhood is passivity. And the, the, the epitome of passivity is Ahab. Ahab wants something, he can't get it, he pouts about it, he lays in bed, he lets his wife assume the responsibility, she kills Naboth, and you know the rest of the story. God said he hated that kind of manhood. In fact, it's not manhood at all. Love pursues, love goes low. You know, my wife taught me in most of our marriage what the strength of love looked like. Because whenever we were having a challenge, or my feelings were hurt, or her feelings were hurt, and I clammed up, or I would get into the, uh, the pouty mode, I know none of you men know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it was my wife's relentless love that, who pursued my heart. But can I just share something? It's not my wife's responsibility to pursue her husband's heart. It's my job as a man to learn to quit pouting and learn to start pursuing and to learn to take the initiative because God takes the initiative. God goes low. God pursues even when he's 100% right. And God doesn't ask for forgiveness because he's never done anything wrong. But I'll tell you this, the, the more mature in the relationship is the one who forgives the first. Amen. The more mature in the relationship is the one who goes the lowest. And when a man initiates like God, good things happen. Yeah. Now, I just want to say I've got eight children, as you all know. Or maybe you don't know, but I have eight children. <laughs> 
And none of them are cookie cutters. They're all beautifully unique. And uh, they have shared with me over the years ways that as a father, I can better connect with their hearts. Any dads want to be connected to your children's hearts? Man, I do. But I realize they all connect differently. And so part of my task as a father has been learning how to initiate better. And I still haven't figured this out. But I'm working on it. You know, I didn't ask Lauren if I could share this, so I won't mention her name. (laughs) But I would say to my kids something like this, and I thought it was really good parenting. I would say, look, I want to be the best dad in the world, but I don't know what you need all the time, so could you just tell me Like, if you need daddy time, you want to go out on a breakfast date with your dad, could you just tell me? And she would say, Dad, if I tell you, it ruins it. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because she didn't want me to have to tell her to tell me. She wants me to know her and then to initiate. And so I'm still... And that's just one of eight. Now, this is an incredible, complicated math problem. I'm just telling you. There are so many variables in there that I, and I was not good in math. But I'm trying to be a great dad. And so I want to learn and initiate and learn what my kids need so I can be the kind of dad that they deserve. And we're still learning this, aren't we, guys? It's, it's, it, it's not easy. Or with my lovely wife, as we, after 39 years now, learning how to flow together and learning who she is and, and what she likes and what's special to her and, and all these things. So, so ready for this so that I can initiate. And so in initiating, I can show that she's loved and she's pursued and she's valuable because that's what initiation does. And so I've asked my kids, hey, Dad hasn't been a good initiator, but I want to be a good initiator. I want to be proactive. I don't want to be passive. I I want to be the leader. I don't want to be a bump on the log. And I want you to see something. This is amazing. As I was studying Luke chapter 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, it leads us to our second point this morning. And that's that fathers not only initiate, but fathers invite. Fathers invite. What happened when the shepherd found the lost sheep? It says when he got back home, he put the sheep on his neck, carried on his shoulders, carried it home. And then he invited all of his friends and family. He said, come on out. We're going to have a party. The sheep that was lost, I just found. What happened to the woman who found the one coin out of the ten that was missing? She looked meticulously through her wall. She found the coin. What did she do? The same thing. She called all of her friends. She said, come over. We got to celebrate. We got to celebrate. This is awesome. And, uh, and what happened when the uh, prodigal came home? You all know that story better than any of them. What the father do? The son was groveling, and the son was repenting, and I'm not worthy to become your son. And what's interesting is, or to be your son, and what's interesting is the father never even stopped to address what was coming out of his son's heart. You know what he says in the Bible? He says, 
He, he starts commanding the servants, go get the finest robe. Go kill the finest calf. We are going to have a party. He didn't give any of the groveling one inch of room. He just said, you're, you're going to be celebrated. And I'm going to invite people to come and be a part. In other words, my joy is so full, I want to invite some other people to be a part of the celebration. Now, I'm grateful that out of all of my eight children, I have a lot of party animals because here again, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just confessing. Partying, my name has not been synonymous with party animal. I'm just telling you, all right? And maybe you're a dad that can relate to me. But let me ask you this question. Isn't it cool to think that your name and fun could be in the same sentence? <laughs> Not a fun guy, but a fun guy, all right? A, fu a fun guy. That joke was for Kenny Huffnagel, who's in Honduras right now, and he <laughs> tells the corniest jokes. But anyway, Kenny, that's for you. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells the parable of the great feast, and you guys know the story. It was an indictment against Israel because Jesus said, I came to my own, and my own people didn't have time for me, and they made excuses, and Jesus said, go out into the highways and byways. I want you to invite everybody, the poor, the needy, the broken. I want you to invite them all to come to the party. Isn't this amazing? The Lord does not bring us into his kingdom. He doesn't bring us out of brokenness. He doesn't bring us out of alienation by threatening us. He actually brings us out of our brokenness by inviting us to a party that offers more. It's amazing to me that lost people say really stupid things about how hell's going to be a great party and they're going to be the center of the party. How many of you know the devil throws really lousy parties? He's the ultimate party pooper. But the real guy that throws the parties is the father. <laughs> Every single talk about the kingdom that's to come is a party. <laughs> Joy, celebration, friendship, love, unity, passion. God is a partier. And again, I thank my family. I thank my kids. I thank my brother-in-law. I married the ultimate part. I married. I, I did not marry my brother-in-law. Um, when I met Britt, yeah. <laughs> when I met Britt in college, we were like, you know, the antithesis of opposites, all right? He was Mr. GQ. I was still wearing bell bottoms. They went out 10 years before I got to college. <laughs> My hair was falling out. His hair was getting thinned, and he had a different hairstyle every week, and he still does. I mean, figure that one out. I have the same hairstyle now for many, many years. But the one thing I so appreciated about the man who was soon to become my brother-in-law was that he really knew how to push the fun button. How many of you need people in your life that just know how to throw a party and how to be fun? And again, I'm still, I, this, I feel like this is true confessions of a failed pastor this morning because <laughs> I think the Lord has me preaching on everything that I'm trying to do better. 
So it's not like, come on, guys, you can do it. Follow your leader. It's like, no, I'm still learning this, but maybe you guys can come alongside and learn with me. Initiate and be somebody who invites other people into your world. And how about this? Fatherhood, your fatherhood, my fatherhood, his fatherhood should be associated with fun. So can I encourage us guys in the midst of paying bills and working hard and all the challenges of life and watching the evening news and all the other stuff that we have to deal with, can we make it a point to imitate our father? And our father is the ultimate party animal. Every time he talks about heaven, every time he talks about the kingdom that's to come, it's a party. And it's going to be fun. And so here's where I've been challenged again. I want to challenge my kids that there's always more. How many of you know that's one thing we do as a father is we want to model for our children that the kingdom is the best place to live your life. And I want to be a father that when, I, when I'm leading my family, I want to always lead them with this truth right here. You know what? Let's do it. It's God's way because it's always better and there's always more. Is your gospel associated with the words less or is your gospel associated with the words more? There's always more to be experienced with the Lord, isn't there? And his invitation is, is never deny yourself, take up your cross, and get less. It's deny yourself, take up your cross, because there's so much more. And God wants to invite us. How many of you know the more of the kingdom is the fact that God invites us to have relationship with himself? And, uh, and I don't know about you, but dads, I want to encourage you. Let the kingdom expand your heart so that you're not only someone who loves your family, but you're somebody who loves people. You're not only somebody who loves your children, but you have a heart for people and other children who maybe don't have dads. And your home is a place affiliated and associated with joy. And your doors are always open. And your refrigerator is always full. And there's always people coming to your house because they feel loved. And uh, the reason we like to hug around here, guys, I said the reason we like to hug around here, guys, in godly hugs, is because the prodigal son's dad was a great hugger. And he ran, and he pursued. And so open your home and make it a place of fun and invite people to the party and make sure your arms and your heart are wide open and love people. And you might be saying, Pastor, this is hard for me to do because I never got that from my dad. You know what? Start giving away whatever you can and watch how God, just like the Grinch, you know, his heart grew five times or whatever that was. I forget. However, some of you watched the movie obviously a lot more than I have. But I found this to be true. God can take a small, withered, broken, hurting, selfish heart, and the Lord can supersize your heart so that you become a lover of people. And I don't know about you, but I, uh, I want this place, as far as the manhood in this place, to be known as tough men who are strong leaders, full of conviction and truth, but tender men 
who love people and, uh, and whose hearts are broken for what's going on in our world and who care and who want to lead and want to make a difference. Let me end with this. Initiators, inviters, and how about this? Investors, fathers know how to invest. God seeks out sinners and he invites them to submit themselves to his reign so that he might be their father and so that he could give them the kingdom. We talked about that in Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock. It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. The gift of God is to actually enjoy his fathering. And I want to encourage every, every father here this morning to learn how to be fathered by God. And to learn how to let the challenges that we face in life be an opportunity for us to take our broken hearts and our overwhelmed lives to the Lord. And to know that no matter what's going on in our lives, we have a Father who's deeply committed to us. And he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And my mom has a saying, God's got this. God's got this. You know, the men in my life, the fathers in my life, including my own biological father, always had a way in the midst of crisis to simply say words of assurance that even when they didn't know how it was all going to work out, they had been around long enough that they could point their attention back to the father. And sometimes all a father has to say with a hug and, and an embrace is simply to say, you know what, it's going to be all right. We're going to get through this. I'm here for you. You know, these are all things your heavenly father says. And you know what? When a dad says it, you believe it. And so, men, let's be spiritual fathers that when all hell breaks loose and it's getting more and more hellish all every day, that we're not shaken and we're not overwhelmed and we're not like the little petty king Ahab laying in his bed sucking his thumb pouting that we rise to the occasion, that we love strong, that we move in faith, that we move in strength and tenderness at the same time, and that we keep making investments. I saw a great meme, if I don't know if I'm going to get the quote right, but basically it was saying, you know, it had one of those uh, Braveheart pictures with all the war paint. And basically it said, you know what, if you, if you can't get in the battle for yourself, if you don't have the courage to stand up for yourself, then why don't we get in the battle and stand up for the sake of our children and the next generation? Because we have an investment to make. And, uh, and with watching some of my friends in ministry go home to be with the Lord, it makes you pause and just makes you ask this question, you know what, am I still making valuable investments? Am I still living for the next generation? Am I still wanting to leave a legacy and a strong legacy now? Am I still making investments every day in people that I know and I love? So I don't do this every year. I'm not setting, this, setting myself up as an example. But this morning I was thinking about all my sons who are now fathers. And I just sent a picture of them with their kids and, and, and said, hey, you're being a great dad. I'm really proud of you really proud of you. For other kids, I just said, hey, I'm really incredibly blessed to be your dad. Because you know what? As long as I have a breath and a cell phone, <laughs> I want to make as many 
investments, and I don't want to be telling people how much I love them at their casket. And so, you know what? We use every opportunity we have every day to make investments. And I just want to say this to men who feel like, you know what? I've, I've messed up as a dad. And maybe your children are alienated. Uh, or you've messed up in your marriage. And maybe on this Father's Day, it's a lonely time. Can I just tell you something? Let the Lord keep pursuing your heart. Some of you need the heavenly defibrillator put on your heart today because you need to have an awakening because you've been paralyzed by shame. And I just want to tell you today, God never gives up on any man in this room. And uh, whatever you have done in the past is not your final word over your life as long as you have breath. And so you keep loving and you keep choosing to build bridges where maybe there aren't any right now. And if you have children that are in lifestyles, and I know we do, that are broken and seem a million miles from your heart, and it is painful, you choose to keep inviting and keep investing and keep loving and keep building bridges and stay on your knees and let the Lord purge the pain and the bitterness and the hurt out of your heart and let him make you a fun person to be around. I would really like on my tombstone to say, Ron Johnson, a fun dad, all right? (laughs) Now, some of my kids are going, keep working, dad, keep working. (laughs) By the grace of God, you may arrive. But I want to be a fun father. The father gives gifts to his children. He, He gives them the gift of his presence. He's relationally there. He cares about family. He cares about legacy. He cares about belonging. He cares about when your kids come home and you wrap your arms around them and say, welcome home. You know, my kids have sworn that I will never sell the house over there because there are too many memories and too much love. And because it's really close to the church, that helps too. (laughs) But my prayer was like, God said over David, there will always be one of your descendants on your throne forever. My prayer is that there will always be a Johnson sitting on the toilet of that house. (laughs) That's the closest I got to a throne over at 7-Eleven Pratt. wasn't quite the way I expected this message. (laughs) Some of you know Jim Valvano, a famous basketball coach. He said, my father gave me the greatest gift anyone could give another person. He believed in me. You know, I'm at a season of my life where I, I, I tend to be a little more of a father figure than, say, 30 years ago. And uh, I got a text from one of our team members who are in the uh, Kenya, I guess. And they were sharing that they were teaching the notes from the Roar class, and one of the Roar classes I taught. 
and the course I developed. And uh, they were teaching that, and, uh, and they just said, thank you. And, uh, and I, I sent them a text back, and I thanked them for being obedient to the Lord. And I just simply said this, you know, so proud of you. And so proud of all that the Lord's doing in your life. You know, it's not hard to be a cheerleader for people. What's really hard is to be a critic of people. Don't be a critic. Just be a cheerleader. I found that uh, if you'll make investments in people's life in terms of believing in them, there's no end to what God can do. And when the person's coming back from their worst moment, it's when you're there standing there cheering them on that their best moment is still ahead that you leave the biggest impact in their heart. So I want this to happen. I want all the guys to stand up this morning, every, every, every male in this room to stand up. What a beautiful picture right here. A beautiful picture of manhood. I love every one of you guys. Glad you're part of our family. Glad we get to do this uh, masculine journey together. We're a kingdom church, and we're also a testosterone church, just so you guys know. (laughs) Because, uh, amen. In most churches in America, this moment right here, in this scene right here, is absent. So you know what? I don't want to take for granted all these beautiful masculine faces. The guys are awesome, every one of you. And, uh, and you're more needed than ever. So what do you say we commit ourselves to being, if you're married, being a great husband, loving your wife well. If you've got children, loving your children well. And if you're single, then we're going to be the best version of masculinity on planet Earth with the help of our amazing Father. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to touch all of us, Lord, as men. We bring our brokenness to you. We bring our failures. We bring our fears. And, Lord, we lay them at your feet. And, Lord, in in an American culture where masculinity is nowhere to be found and where we're so confused about what it is to be a man, I just ask you, Lord, to raise up in this house anointed men of God, world changers, men of great compassion and great strength. And, Lord, that the, the full release of biblical manhood in this place would bring such a blessing to everyone around us. So, Lord, help us be better husbands. Help us be better men. Help us be better fathers. And, Lord, help us to do it all for your glory, for your honor. And, Lord, we want to imitate you We want to be just like you, Dad. Our Daddy, the King. (laughs) What an amazing thought. My Dad, the King. I want to be just like you when I grow up. And Lord, may that be said over every man in this place. Lord, we want to be like our Dad. So, Father, take us, use us, heal us, anoint us, send us out of this place today inspired to be like you. We pray this all in your mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. If you're here today and you need prayer, come on down. If you don't know the king, come on down. If you need Jesus, come on down. If you need any ministry, come on down. All right, we love you all. Have a great day.